Thank you, Jeff. Stephanie is here to meet you with your Bible bags, and so if you'd like to go back and grab Bible bags, you're welcome to do that. All of us are going to take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. I always appreciate it when people say go to Genesis, because it's the first book of the Bible, easy to find, and we're going to start at the very beginning as we start the season of Lent. I just have to say, I, I always listen to the sermons of the pastors when I'm gone, and, and uh, Doug and, and Colleen did such a wonderful job while I was gone in teaching the Word of God. I know you were blessed uh, because of that as well. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to actually read a few verses in that chapter and a few verses in the third chapter, but I'm going to say most of the sermon before we study it. Uh, today, of course, as you know, is the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent is the 40 days. Uh, we are symbolizing Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. The first thing he did when he started his ministry was to go into the wilderness and to experience what sin really is, the temptations of sin. We have this wonderful collection of three types of temptations that, that Jesus experiences there. And so for us, it's a time when we stop and think about uh, what evil has done to us personally, what it has done to the world as a, a collective, and what, in fact, God is going to do to solve it as we enter into this great season of, uh, of Easter. This Lent, we're going to be focusing a lot on how God interacts with uh, the pain and sorrow of our world and of our lives. And so we begin with perhaps the best known of all biblical stories, the story of Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, how they partook of that. But although this is probably one of the best known of all the stories, it is one of the stories that I have found a lot of confusion. And in fact, you, you can find that throughout uh, a lot of the internet, how people are confused about the story of Adam and Eve. And I'm going to give you just a couple of examples of how this confusion has in fact caused difficulty in our culture as a whole, but in the church in particular. Uh, let me give you the first example. I want you to picture in your mind the tree and the serpent. Okay, do you have that in your mind? Now, who is standing there? Is Eve alone being tempted to disobey God? Now, of course, the fact that I raise the question uh, gives you a hint at uh, the answer to that. But it's interesting that in studies they've said that most people see Eve and the serpent and the fruit and they have accepted this inaccurate and gender-biased perception of the fall. The scripture is clear. Adam was with her and he ate. The biblical story places it clearly on both of them. However, in the 15th century, a document was written that blame not only the fall, but virtually all sin that men experience as being a result of being seduced by the temptress, Eve. Now, this document was, in fact, rejected by the church. And it was uh, not the teaching of Scripture, and there's never been a teaching of the church. But it became such a part of popular culture, and it shows up so often in art and in literature that this blatant disrespect and subjugation of women has become a part of the Western culture, not because of the church, but because 
of that kind of prejudice that was infused into the culture in the 15th century. Now let me give another example. One of the questions, uh, uh, example of misunderstanding of the, of the story itself and its meaning. Uh, one of the questions that we are often asked, and I'll often have uh, families that will ask this of me, uh, especially as children come of age and they're thinking through what happened, why would the fall, and, and, and what is that teaching? Why didn't Adam and Eve, uh, on that day when they partake, why didn't they say when God showed up, I'm so sorry, please forgive me? And then it could have all just ended right there. Why the fall of all humanity and creation itself? Well, interestingly, in a religious book that was written exactly 600 years, over a 30-year period that was exactly 600 years, the same 30-year period that Jesus lived and did his ministry, 600 years after Jesus, that means 2,100 years after Moses, who wrote down this oral tradition of Adam and Eve and the tree, this book claimed that Adam and Eve did say they were sorry. That is the story that's recorded in the Quran, the scriptures of the Islamic faith. But the problem, as theologians have noted now for thousands of years, as we've come to understand what is evil and what's the nature of evil, the problem is that something broke far more deeply that day than a simple, I'm sorry, could solve. Adam and Eve were broken in a way that has become uh, pervasive throughout all of humanity, throughout all of creation itself. And it's just not that simple. Now, what broke cannot be described in simple terms. The fact that the story itself and the consequences of our disobedience to God is so full of meaning that every time you read the story of the fall, you will have another nuance of what it means and who we are. As the Holy Spirit not only speaks through these words, but the words themselves and the circumstances themselves will give you all different kinds of shades of darkness that came upon us in that, in that moment of history. What is interesting uh, to me is that we often try to dress up the darkness. Rather than walking into the light, we try to find uh, if there are uh, other ways that we could experience the meaning of life. I don't know if you caught the phrase or not, but in the Oscars, the writers had Tyler Perry say this during the Academy Awards. He's describing a very bleak and very offensive film. If you haven't seen Nebraska, I gave it one star. It's, it's a very offensive film. But one of the things that they had Tyler Perry say is that, quote, nothing in the end is either black or white, but radiant shades of gray. Now, he's alluding, of course, to the double meaning of the black and white film. It's the only film that was black and white. But it was nuanced in, in some uh, uh, difficult kinds of ways. And, of course, he's alluding to the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey uh, bestseller. But the truth is that uh, there are no radiant shades of grey. And yet so many people relegate themselves to that level of life. They decide that grey is good enough if we can just find nuance in it, if we can just find some texture to it. 
if we could just live in the, the shadow of the fall and somehow find meaning without having to submit to the light and follow the light. And so we live in those shades of gray rather than the radiant shades of color, living color, that God intended uh, for us to experience. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or better translated, good and bad, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, right and wrong, is a symbol. And it's a tree that symbolizes that moment in all of our lives when we choose to eat of the forbidden fruit. In that moment, we experience a brokenness of our sin and of sin itself that no amount of rhetoric or cinematic skill can uh, camouflage or attempt to fix. The darkness is not radiant and it is a brokenness that requires a solution that only God himself can provide. And to think that religion can fix it, as the Quran suggests, changes the solution dramatically. Instead of God and his love coming and reforming the very nature of who we are as human beings capable of such disobedience, we replace it with religious practice, religious obligations. And the five pillars of Islam are religious obligations. Christianity can be, for a person, just a religious obligation and not an experience of the love of God. But the solution that's provided throughout Scripture and certainly climaxed in Jesus Christ and will be climaxed at the end of this season in Easter and the great redemption that is provided through our Lord Jesus Christ is that God himself entered into that darkness and God himself led us out of that darkness through his radiant light into a life that is beyond any comprehension or any imagination that we're capable of living. And so it's a whole different message that we're given in Scripture and a whole different promise that we're given in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we could go on and talk about uh, this more, but if we understand that we're entering into a darkness in this moment, a deep abyss, uh, out of which we, we cannot climb without the assistance of the Savior, then we're ready to read the words of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 2, 15, and then we'll go to chapter 3. As I said, Moses wrote these down. It comes from the oral tradition of the people of God, and he wrote it in the 14th century, 15th century B.C. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And Genesis 3, 1 through 17. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pain in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, when we think about submission, obedience, being true to what you teach us is truly the good life, the life that is aware and, and informed and and chooses well. When we think about that, we recognize that there's something in us that even rebels against that, that you want only the best for us, and we would rebel against that. We would choose things that we know historically have been proven for centuries to be harmful. We would choose things that, in fact, harm us personally. And Father, we know that that, that is something that, that we need help if we're to live and to live abundantly. And so each one of us come to you today. We come to you simple and, and open. And we're here because we want to follow you. And so please speak to us. And speak to all Christendom during this Lenten season. And we'll give you the praise. Amen. Now, there are so many lessons in this that I would encourage you to take time this week, and perhaps you might even want to take time during the whole Lenten season and read this account time and time again. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him reveal to you who you are. You might, as you read it one time, put yourself in Eve's place. She was the 
more adventuresome one, the, the spokesperson, the one who was out front. And she, in that wonderful curiosity, met temptation that confused her and caused her to make choice. Put yourself in Adam's place the next time you read. You're more in the background, more voyeuristically watching the sin of another until you participate in that sin. You experience that, that sorrow of family falling, of you falling, of the whole of your marriage falling. Put yourself in the place of the serpent, that serpentine seduction. Why is it that the serpent would want them to fall? What is it that makes us want others to fall? What is it that brings that kind of dynamic in a, in a group of people or in a world? Think of what kind of serpentine seductions are your seductions, those things that you most easily fall for and that you've been bitten once and then you bite in return that forbidden fruit. Put yourself in the place of God generous, giving great freedom. You can do anything but do that which is harmful for you. And yet your beloved betrays you, hides from you, no longer wants relationship and begins to blame one another in this breakdown of family and relationship and, and culture. Read through the account. Think about what does it mean that we have this freedom and yet we so betray it. And we have the abundant life described and given to us and yet we don't choose it. Put yourself in the place and read through and let the Holy Spirit speak uniquely and speak collectively to uh, us as a whole and to the, the world as a whole. Explore all the possibilities and let this Lent be a time of truly understanding evil and what it is in your life. But this morning we're going to focus only on one part of it, the personal knowledge that sin creates when we bite the forbidden fruit. The tree of the knowledge is not knowledge about good and evil. Adam and Eve already had that. They knew that the good was all the other trees, the bad would be to disobey God and to personally participate in the sin of disobeying and have knowledge of good and evil. So it's a very personal knowledge. It's a knowledge that I am now a person that is different than I was a moment ago before I took the bite of the forbidden fruit. It's a knowledge that I have now in some way been defined by my sin rather than being defined as a child of God that walks with him in the cool of the day in that wonderful open relationship. We see this most obviously in how the change occurs when we personally participate in evil, when Adam and Eve hide from God, where they had nothing to hide. They now hide themselves. Where they were not embarrassed, they are now covering themselves. Where they were not ashamed, they're now ashamed of themselves. 
and where they had been one flesh in marital bliss in a great garden of opulent provision. They are now tearing at one another, blaming one another, striking at one another, and living in disharmony with the very creation that they are meant to take care of and to provide. The tree of the knowledge is a, a fruit that delivers a bitter, eye-opening reality of what sin is. Because now we know it personally and we've experienced it. You see, the problem that Adam and Eve had could not be changed by a simple, I'm sorry. In that moment, everything changed with God. They had themselves been changed. And to simply say, I'm sorry, but not recognize that God now needs to completely retransform them and bring them back to that original, Edenic innocence is to misunderstand that, in fact, God's salvation requires God himself to do something within us. You cannot just say, oh, well, it's okay. I know that, that you are sorry, and so now it's going to be forgiven. We have become, in fact, in, in our culture, a, a people who are, are comfortable with shades of gray as though that's the meaning of life and that's the, the direction of life. And we misunderstand life itself, let alone misunderstand our very selves and who we are, who we really are, and our identity not by our sin, but by our Savior. We enter a whole different existence as God worked with his people for thousands of years and works with you and me within our lives and for eternity to come to bring about transforming. Now, I, I don't know how your personal knowledge of sin has impacted you, but I do know how it impacts me. And I do know that I am a broken person being restored by the love of God. I have no confusion in thinking that I am somehow not in need of a savior or an ever-present counselor. I need one who will care for me, transform me, convict me, change me, allow me to be new in his light, living by his way, empowered by his presence. I'm in no confusion that if I do not turn to God that I slip into a darkness that is an abyss that I lose my way and I lose the, the path that God has provided so generously to me and the tree of life that he has provided to us. God invites us in this return to Eden to be receivers of the fruit of the tree of life, the life that God gives and in that presence and in his love, we are able to, in fact, experience who God is. This morning, I invite you, if you are not now eating of the true of life, to accept the invitation to come to God. Do not hide from him. Do not be embarrassed. Do not be ashamed. Do not be torn apart and tearing others apart. Come to him. He knows, he loves you, he understands. He entered the darkness so that we might have life. And in that place, allow him to do his work. We open ourselves that he might have complete and total control. And that we will not be 
in a self-absorbed or selfish or self-centered place where sin defines us, but rather where God is doing his work within us. So during this whole season of Lent, I encourage all of us to take time to, to think about what sin has done and what God is doing and allow God to set us free. Let's spend time with him.